It's funny that we've, we've started the morning in joy. Uh, <laughs> it's um, it's going to be, yeah, important that we hold to that this morning. Because uh, we've been uh, investing a large amount of time working through this series. What's the series called? Yeah, okay. Uh, and we're generating some momentum, eh? Um, that this is going to be a catalyst to a culture shift for us. So you and I get to choose to be deliberate about uh, inviting God to tend to the garden of our hearts. Yeah? So we're giving him access to our inner self. Yeah? And anticipating that he will do what only God can do. And that's to transform us, right? And so um, many of us have heard this over the last couple of weeks, but we're just going to chuck it up there. Um, i kind of been pondering this phrase. I only leave moments with him in significant change to the measure that I come to him in surrender. So I only leave moments with him changed by the degree to which I surrender. So my surrender is a measure of my transformation. So um, this morning even though we've been bubbling with joy, which is wonderful, we're actually going to look at embracing grief. Is that okay? You're right with that this morning? Everyone's super excited about that. Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful thing. So grief, loss, um, change, disappointment. Um, you know, I really believe this. I, when I first read it in, in Peter Scazzaro's book, I was like, oh, are you sure? But he says... Through, through this, through grief, through experiencing these things, God can enlarge our soul. And I really believe that's true for us this morning. And so we're going to go after it. Um, we, we get to receive a reward through pain. All right. Uh, when we're in pain, we have the opportunity to meet with him in a really unique way. All right. We get to bring our emotional pain to Jesus as an encounter. And we get to encounter him. Even today, even this morning, I believe that we can encounter God in this way. So the question I have for you this morning is, have you ever learned to grieve? Have you ever learned to grieve? Um, we, see, we see people all around us turning to, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the midst of grief, we turn to our vices, right? Or our devices, um, thus synonymous for some of you. Uh, I'm just saying, yeah, you're a little bit quiet, but I reckon that stuck for some of you because, <laughs> anyway, we're like, we use our phones to numb ourselves, right? Um, to, to avoid feeling. We, we avoid and absorb the pain um, with substances, with relationships, like there's some sort of giant, uh, like paper towel, you know? Um, you know when you spill milk? and you wipe it up with a paper towel, there's still a residue that remains. Like it gets funky. It still kind of smells. And, um, and the, so there's this lingering. There's this lingering emotional damage. There's this lingering a belief system that's become false or, uh, you know, something starts to sour. And so uh, what do we do with pain? What do we do with grief? What do we do with disappointment? Is there a biblical model? Let's pray. Father, 
uh, we invite you to, to tend to the garden of our hearts this morning. Let us find a deeper place of intimacy with you. And we just uh, we thank you that you are taking us on an, a journey into maturity of emotional, healthy uh, maturity as a church, as a body. And we just invite you to, uh, to speak this morning. Amen. Amen. Speak. Cool. All right. So uh, back, in, back in the beginning, that's where I think we should start. Back in the beginning uh, was Eden. Right? And in, he- in Hebrew, that word Eden is made up of three kind of picture symbols. They're letters, but Hebrew's really gangster. And each, sim- each letter represents a symbol, right? And so uh, it really, the word Eden means open the doorway and enter the pathway that leads to life, paradise, and delight. How good is that? <laughs> what a beautiful picture. And so God places these first humans in this place called delight, right? Where the shalom of God exists. And we know a lot about that phrase, shalom. It is life as God intended it, you know, as it was supposed to be. And it was kind of short-lived, to be honest. Like, two people got to experience it (laughs) out of the human race. That's short-lived, right? Um, But humanity, by consequence of their choice to reject Yahweh, his lordship, they had to leave that place that they were ordained to govern and to steward. And... And it was actually Yahweh's love for them by which he banished them from that place of delight. It was his love because if they also ate from the tree of life, then they would be stuck that way forever in this warped, uh, broken state of spiritual death. So we see shalom being like cracked, you know, and we see pain being introduced to the world. The nearness that that God had with them kind of became distant. Humanity themselves became distant from one another, and humanity becomes distant from the creation, which it, which is now cursed. And um, the Bible really just describes this tragedy as death. So the death of what God originally had in mind. You and I were created for Eden. We were created for Eden. We were created for a place of delight for intimacy with God, uh, to be naked and unashamed. Don't take that too far. But uh, but like a flawless relationship between us and God, the creator and his creation. To, to feel that sense of joy and fulfillment just because we are being, and that's it. But we are born into this world which just suffers from disappointment. You know, we all kind of found this out during covid that we're not yet doing community and connection as God intended. You know, churches across the world uh, experience this awakening that, you know, COVID isolation actually just exposed something that already existed. That uh, we already have an isolated society. That, that our culture isolates us. That it made us, you know, COVID, that experience or being in isolation or whatever it was, uh, it actually it made us aware of our lack and the death that we still carry. It's inevitable 
no matter how hard you try, that you will experience some disappointment in life. Because you've been built with some sort of subconscious longing for a return to Eden. You know, like there's this hardwired created instinct to desire that which was lost. You know, we long for what was lost. Or we all experience what Genesis calls death. And maybe, maybe for you this morning, maybe it's a real death. Maybe um, you've, you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've, maybe you've had a miscarriage. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe uh, your parents have been divorced or uh, it's your own broken marriage. You know, maybe it's the trauma of your family. Maybe it's, it's the emotional damage that you're left in. Or maybe uh, it's who your parents never were for you. Maybe it's um, you're in your 30s and you're still single. And uh, you're like, come on, come on, God, this hurts. Maybe, maybe you're newly married and actually it's just kind of disappointing. Maybe, maybe it's a dream. Don't nudge each other when I say that. <laughs> Maybe it's a dream, and and like that dream's kind of been dying as the years go on. Maybe it's your own mistakes. Maybe uh, you know, like we haven't grieved the the sinful life choices that we've made, and it's it's kind of set some roadblocks to our receptivity of. God's grace. This is heavy, right? Yeah. But it's reality that we're faced with in life sometimes. And maybe, maybe it's not just the heavy stuff. Maybe it's, um, it's just mundane life, you know? Maybe you're a warrior's supporter. <laughs> maybe it's paying, paying rent, you know? Maybe it's that interest rates just went up and you're now paying another $350 a fortnight. Yeah, right? And your house is still unfinished. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's being disillusioned with someone that you looked up to, you know? Like I admired that person and they've kind of fallen off the pedestal and now what do I do with that? Um, maybe you, you lost your cat, Silas, this is for you, Matt, uh, <laughs> to a heart aneurysm and he dragged himself home but he was paralyzed from here down and he was screaming in pain so you put him down. And you buried him in the garden, and then you moved house. Sorry, it's a true story, but <laughs> it is a lot of data. Maybe, maybe you're just getting older. You know, like your body's changing, things are getting wrinkly and saggy. That's <laughs> <It's>, hello. <laughs> Like, this is just ordinary, nitty-gritty, normal life, right? Right? Earthquake city. I mean, garden city. You know? Um, and it, it is a waste of time. It's a waste of time to compare and contrast, you know, our lives measuring the depths of loss and pain that we all experience. You know, we all experience disappointment. Let's not compare one, one level with another. Like, it's all this stuff for everyone. And hear me right, there is beauty, like there is beauty. And, and like the delight of moving 
toward the restoration of Eden. But deep down, we had all hoped for more than what we're actually experiencing. So for me, for some reason, uh, I was predisposed as a young person, as a small person, to suppress my emotional life into like this tightly constricted box in here. (laughs) Can anyone relate to that? Yeah, as a young person, I never knew what I was feeling. I actually had this word for someone on Tuesday night, and so you may relate. But I, I just got to a point where I was so bottled up and so stuck that I needed an outlet, like a pressure valve release, you know, like one of those pressure cookers. And I've shared this before, but, but that was my mum for me, um, who'd observed this trait and would come alongside me and then sometimes quite confrontationally, I might add, uh, <laughs> help me unplug, you know? Like she'd pursue me until I cracked, until that pressure valve was released. Um, but there did come a time in my own life when I needed to learn to do that for myself. Yeah, I remember being 12 years old and we'd moved to Christchurch and I'd finally settled into this really wonderful friendship group. And pretty much my whole class at like intermediate school back then, they came to like church events with me. And I was part of like, um, you know, like some of them even came on Sundays. It was really awesome. And, and it was really easy to invite them. And that we were such a tight knit group. And even after church, we'd go full driving and we'd have picnics with the families. And, um, and it was beautiful. It was actually a radical time. Like it was on, it was on the, the tail end, the post-Toronto blessing um, move. And so people were just uh, getting quite dramatically, quite sovereignly set free in the anointing. And I remember just being a little person and just soaking in awesome stuff that God was doing. And then my best friend's dad died of leukemia. Uh, and it was shortly after his parents had just separated. And like being a, being a young lad, um, just not knowing how to process his own grief, he just he turned it against me. You know? So I lost every, every friend that I had uh, all of a sudden. And, and I, was, I was actually the butt of every joke. I, um, I was the butt of their bullying. I, it was mo- they, they mocked me. And it was during the infamous downtrowel wars. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I was a late bloomer, and so it didn't fare well for me. And uh, like I was in my 20s before I got here under my arms, you know, not on my back yet, Gideon. But uh, that's why I'm 50 and I look like this. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's, it's why Stu's 72 and he looks like he's, you know, one day, maybe when he's 90, he'll get a white hair on his head. Um, but anyway, it was actually at this point where I experienced like grief and loneliness and sorrow. And, and I, was, I was deeply disappointed. I was, I was like carrying it around day in and, and day out for much of a year. And there was this one girl that felt sorry for me, but she had to keep her distance because otherwise she was going to be outcast with me. And I, I really, um, really felt at that time like I had no one else but Jesus. You know, and yet, and yet I knew him, and um, and what probably made things more challenging was that perpetrator. You know, he was still in more pain than I was. You know, 
that young guy who lost his parents, essentially, was in a lot of pain. And so I just, I refused to retaliate. I really just took it. And I was a, I was a gentle-natured kid, you know. Um, but somewhere I felt deep down that actually uh, I felt for what he'd been through. And so, um, you know, that year carried on, and I chose to get baptized. It was a private little ceremony after a Sunday afternoon. And, and there was this really sense that out of anything in the world, I knew that I could cling to him. And I, I remember being really ill-prepared when they said, hey, can you share a testimony? And I, I stood up and I just said, I'm doing this because I love the Lord. And I just burst into tears. And it was partially my grief, and, but it was also just his loving acceptance of me in that moment. And then um, later that year, the very, pa- the very pastor that baptized me, um, who, who prophesied over me, actually, uh, that he believed I would pastor that very church, who was stood down um, for previous sexual assaults that were going to court. And, and I could feel myself wanting to shut down, you know, like just recede inwards. And one of my parents took me for a walk. I can't actually remember which one. And they asked how I was feeling. And I realized I just felt nothing. Like I was just nothingness. And I had hedged myself in. And I had some sort of like just protective force field around me. So I didn't feel any pain. So sometime later... I actively decided, like, man, I've got to get in touch with what is on, going on in the inside of me because I just feel like a brick wall. And, and again and again, I just decided, well, you know what? I would rather feel pain than nothing at all. Like nothing at all felt like, just, like I was a robot, like I was just numb and I wasn't experiencing anything. I would rather feel pain than nothing at all. And eventually, I remember in my tiny little heart just feeling so disappointed with people. Is this what humanity has to offer God? At 19, I had a similar year without friendship. Um, but this time, it was self-inflicted. <laughs> it's my own doing. And um, the, the difference was that I knew that he'd be there for me. Like straight away, like straight away, I just turned to him and he was there. You know, I, I had these thoughts like if grief could only be experienced in this lifetime, then I, I've got to embrace it. Like it must be worth feeling. And it hurt, you know, but my heart has, ha, ha, you know, it, it had never been so tender before him. And I really lamented, like it, it gave opportunity for him to just comfort me and come near to me. Uh, I felt it all. And probably then some, you know, like other things that I had bottled up, sort of came to the surface, uh, I grieved over other stuff, you know. And gently and really graciously, um, he just sat with me. And he just, he just sat with me. I just had this picture of like just lying on my back, bed and he just sat with me stroking my back, you know, as I cried. <clears throat> because life wasn't what I hoped that it would be. So you don't get to choose not to have pain. Like it's not an option. We're doing life. So the question is, have you grieved the loss of what you'd hoped for in this life? 
Have you invited Jesus into that process? You see, uh, what I realize is that you don't, get to, you don't get to experience moments like this again. You don't get them back, you know? You, don't, you have one chance to steward that opportunity to take that moment of greater pain and, and choose to give him an offering that costs you. A love offering of pain. See, I, I got one chance at this painful moment, and so I give him a sacrifice. I'll never get that opportunity the other side of heaven. And that opportunity to just meet with him in pain. Shem, where you have um, Two weeks ago during worship, he, he gave this word about it costing us something. You know, like bring a sacrifice of praise. You know, never is it more true than, than in all of that discomfort and all of that pain that we feel. Where, you know, like we'll never have that in heaven. I won't be able to, you know, like in heaven I'm going to worship him for all eternity and all his splendor and all his beauty, celebrating who he is. But I will never have a chance to do that again with pain. So giving him that most precious, that priceless offering that we, we have in life is to give him my right to understand, like, he, you know, Graham Cook says, don't ask him the why questions because they don't get answered this side of earth. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, just to worship him in our pain is a beautiful, fragrant offering. Surrender it, it measures everything, really. You know, praise without surrender, it really is just a transaction. It's like a business deal, you know? Like, it's, it's part of our striving. But every time we get to enter into worship, it takes, there's this opportunity for us to bring ourselves, a whole selves to Him. And, and it's a place of greater surrender. Like, I have an opportunity now to surrender a bit more of myself over to God. And that may look sometimes like handing over our grief. Um, Samuel asked me earlier in the week, Hey, dude, is there, and he said that because that's how he speaks, hey, dude, um, <laughs> is there something on your heart that you want to sing, like, you know, worship-wise as a response to your message? And I was like, yeah, let's sing a lament, right? <laughs> and, like, we just can't find any of them. <laughs> um, not one. They don't exist. <laughs> but, do you know, over two-thirds of the Psalms are, are prayers of David put to music for public singing, and they were laments, you know? Like, where he holds nothing back. You know, like he complains to God. He shouts out. He rages. He's like, he's praying some wild prayers. Like, would we even dare to pray some of those things that are in the Bible? You know, telling us exactly how he feels. Biblical grieving calls us to pour out our feelings and our losses to God. And yet we've lost one of those key expressions of how to, how, how to do that. That's found in Scripture. You know, we've got an entire, entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. <laughs> like, for goodness sake, that's, that's, a, that's a big chunk in there. And, and I wonder if we've lost the art of grieving. You know, even funerals these days, and I, I kind of love this, but we've, we've kind of called them a celebration of life. You know, wow, that person's lived well and they're going to heaven, so like, let's celebrate them. But where, where does that leave time for our grieving? 
Yeah, I tell you, like, making time to grieve is it's a rare art. <laughs> and it's, it's gotten more challenging as an adult, um, mainly because we're out here, like, adulting and stuff. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, like, you don't necessarily just get to stop, but we must. It was said um, of Jesus prophetically, Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, Jesus intimately and intensely experienced grief. Grief, sorrow, loss, pain. You know, Jesus, he wept over his friend Lazarus. You know, it says he cried out in grief over Jerusalem. You know, he cares. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The intensity of his sympathy made, you know, like made him feel your grief as his own. And so he did something about it. Like he came to do something about it, right? Like he came to crush sin and crush Satan and death. So that, you know, one day there will never ever be an experience of separation from him or disappointment or sorrow or suffering or crying or grief or pain. Like that's going to be done away with. Revelations, right? 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. The older things will have passed away and then you will be here. Like that's what we live for. (laughs) It says in Hebrews 4, 15, 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. You know, Jesus, he was not only a man of sorrows. He cares about your grief. Jesus was not only acquainted with his own grief, he is acquainted with your grief. We um, we actually touched on grief uh, previously with Matt and Belinda, right? Stop, when we did the soul talk, soul tour. Yep, one of those. Uh, (laughs) You know, but it actually wasn't until I started going into this emotionally healthy spirituality series that I, I felt like I had a revelation on what it really means. You know, the necessity for us to live, to be able to live an emotionally mature life, like to live free, as we've called it, actually to deal with our grief. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is an eight-week journey, right? Eight weeks, what are we, four, five? Week five. My, my, um, my fear is that, Hear me on this one. My fear is that going through these eight weeks, um, we're going to think to ourselves, oh, yeah, I've done that now. You know, like I did that course, let's move on. You know, the worst possible outcome of living free would be for us to think that, like that, oh, yeah, I've been there, I've done that. (laughs) I've arrived at some sort of destination and now I can just get on with things. And that, that, I mean, that would be... (laughs) disastrous 
See, this is only a culture shift for us in so much as we allow it to become a lifestyle. We, we make it a permanent endeavor, like a constant posture of ourselves toward Him. We're, like, we embrace the mystery of loss and disappointment with all its questions, and we come to the Father with like a childlikeness and just trust Him. Trust Him with our innermost, tender, intimate selves. And it's like, it's like taking... It's like taking that, that tattered, soft tissue, cardiac organ out of your chest cavity and just like placing it in his, his nail-pissed hands for him to like tenderly massage, you know, back into some sort of pulsing, beating heart. Some of you are creeping out now, but like, <laughs> I like imagery. <laughs> you know, like some of us have hearts that are like that, like beaten up and bruised and tethered from the war of life. And he wants to, to <laughs> reinvigorate our, our hearts. He wants to heal us. He, he, he wants to give us a taster of the restoration of Eden, even in the most painful parts. It's in moments like this that we experience childlikeness, you know, the simplicity of faith like a child. You know, where we go, he knows what's happening. And I don't. And, I, and I'm choosing to trust him. A couple of weeks back, I wrote this, this statement. I think it's going to come up. In our suffering, the enemy of our souls tempts us to doubt God's character. If we allow this bitter seed to take root, then we end up doubting God and guarding our hearts from him rather than taking our hearts to him. And then last week, I listened to Bill Johnson's message that Gideon had shared around and addressed, um, you know, he was addressing Bethel like three days after his wife, Benny, had passed to go and be with the Lord. And honestly, I urge you to listen to that message. It's profound. But he said, he said this, he said, I don't have the right to reevaluate who he is because I've experienced loss. You know, he said God's nature is defined in Scripture by promise, by history, his history and his testimony. And that's what we build our theology around, not our experience. You know, Thursday night was the, um, was the anniversary of my mother-in-law's death. She passed away in 2016. And um, uh, for those who weren't with us at the time, she, she'd been coming to Harmony for prayer <laughs> in a wheelchair week in, week out. Um, Gideon was really faithful and, and praying for her. He was really sweet with her. And I remember um, it would have been this Sunday, that many years ago, <laughs> I remember standing on the stage, Oakland's primary school, and, and saying, you know, in tears, just declaring that we wouldn't reduce our theology down to our experience. You know, because God is, God is good all the time. <laughs> you know, and he desires to heal all the time. So there are, there are two options in mourning. It'll either take you to the comforter, to Holy Spirit, or into unbelief. First Thessalonians 4.13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have died, lest you sorrow or grieve as others 
who have no hope. A biblical mourning must have a tinge of hope or it leads us into unbelief. Jesus endured the cross because of the hope set before him. You know, he actually went through the pain, seeing to the other side, and he had this hopeful expectation of, of something good coming out of it. <laughs> he knew what was coming out of it, and he embraced it. Bill said this, he said, you'll never be overtaken and controlled or destroyed or governed or redefined by disappointment if you hang on to hope. We, we need to learn how to maintain biblical hope. You know, in the journey through life, we must grieve together and we must hope together. For some reason, and this has always just boggled my mind, Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But actually blessed are those who mourn. There is, a belief, uh, there, is a, there is a blessing to receive in grief. And I, and I believe there's a blessing for us to receive this morning. You know, that through mourning, through surrendering our pain over to Him, we choose to grow in God. Like, we get to enlarge our souls to deepen our intimacy with Him. I don't want to waste those moments, you know, because they're priceless. They're painful, but they're priceless. Can you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, we stand before you, each of us here this morning, each of us online, and we carry our own disappointments. We carry our grief and our sorrow. Would you comfort us this morning? We yearn for for Eden, that place of delight with you, but we find ourselves here. And you're ever increasing in our midst. <laughs> and yet we just, we carry a tinge of pain, Lord. Show us how to bring our pain to you this morning. Help us to unlock the feelings that we've never tapped into, the grief that holds us back, even from you at times. How do we express our feelings to you, Father? How do we bring our true selves to you? In all our brokenness, you are the healer. You are the restorer. 
You are the only one that brings transformation. So we come to you, Father.